0: reached another episode of talk with a southern accent hello i'm john rawl great to have everybody joining us here for our, what we're going to do is have a three-hour ride across the southland we're going to discuss all that's going on here in the 16 southern states and if you want to be involved we are certainly happy to have you come on and help us out our number is 803 803- Our website is y'all.com. Y'all, in case you did not know this, it is the South's official homepage. There at the y'all.com website, we've got fun stuff up there, more fun stuff coming. In fact, today we're going to take some time to tell you about just exactly what you'll find at the South's homepage. We also have a lot of fun stuff coming up here on the Y'all Show Broadcasting on incredible radio stations across the southeast and also available in podcast form. And we want to say hello to all of our listeners that catch us on radio stations and or via the podcast. And our podcast options include the iHeartRadio app. We're also available for free download in the TuneIn app. And you can check us out at the Stitcher app and Apple Podcast extremely easy to find us all you got to do is go on any of those apps and search for y'all show and voila we're right there big red and white y'all logo and you just hit the button to get it and each and every day when we put out a three-hour y'all show it magically appears whether you're getting it via a smartphone or if you have an ipad heck i have an apple tv at my house and sometimes just out of boredom frankly just to make sure apple's doing its job I will go on there and just see if it updates, and sure enough, so far, they know what they're doing there in Washington, or wherever Apple's located. It's, it's Microsoft's in Washington State. It's it's Apple there on, uh, what is that name of that, uh, Cupertino, California. <laughs> yeah, I should know as much money as those guys have gotten from me and probably you throughout the last uh, 20, 25 years. Yeah, we're right there in podcast form. I encourage you to listen to us. And, of course, if you're listening to us now and you got to run to the to the powder room for some reason or go get a Coca-Cola or you've got to get back to work and you miss a portion of the show, we're right there available for you to anytime you want to. Just to find us right there at y'all.com and our podcast options. We try to make it so easy for you to stay in touch with the Southeast Now, today on The Y'all Show, we've got a look at headlines and some developing news out of Cuba. We don't often talk about our neighbors to the south, but it looks like there's a lot of unrest in that country right now. Of course, there's so many Cuban connections here in the southeast, especially in South Florida. And the mayor of Miami, Florida, is now coming out and saying a little bit about the unrest in Cuba. So we'll get you the latest on that here in our look at some of the news of today across the southeast. Also in our look of headlines and more across the south on this y'all show Tuesday edition we'll let you know speaking of the Caribbean not only is Cuba in the news but my goodness what's going on in the nation of Haiti also in the Caribbean and it looks like a Florida-based doctor is a suspect in the planned and and they carried this thing out assassination of the president of Haiti I'll let you know more about all of that plus <laughs> This sounds like a old Garth Brooks song, sort of. A drunken Georgia man got kicked out of a club. He comes back. Not only does he open fire, I don't think anybody got shot, thankfully, but he plowed his truck into this club in Georgia, and, yeah, right out of Papa Love Mama, sort of. Nah, not exactly the same twist. We'll let you know all about what happened there in Georgia over the last couple of days. Plus, how about some seizures going on, with law enforcement. First of all, the Customs and Border Patrol, they seized methamphetamine hidden in peanuts, like real live peanuts, and they are storing meth in peanuts now. So next time you go get you a a bag of boiled peanuts, you might want to double check because there could be some methamphetamine stuffed inside the shell. Also, another seizure story. This comes courtesy of the New Orleans Airport, where 6,000 false eyelashes (laughs) were seized coming into the airport at New Orleans. Oh, we'll tell you all about all that on today's Y'all Show. Plus, out of Memphis, an update on the bridge over the Mississippi River, the I-40 Bridge, as the Tennessee Department of Transportation has put out some information regarding that. Some good news from Mississippi from a safety standpoint we'll share that here on today's y'all show. Plus, did you realize today is National Friday? T- it's not fry as in FRI day, it's FRY day. Today is National Friday and there's some deals going on. I'll tell you what exactly those are. Plus, there's a deal going on today at the International House of Pancakes. They got 58 cent pancake short stacks today only, and I'll give you all the details. If your local IHOP is participating, you might want to go down down there and save some big money on pancakes here on this Tuesday. I don't know if it's IHOP's birthday or what. We'll, We'll let you know when we get to those headlines later on in the show. We also have some sports news passing along here on today's Y'all Show. The All-Star Game taking place not in Atlanta as it should. It is in Denver. And we'll let you know who won Monday's Home Run Derby. It's a former Florida Gator that wins again. This guy is a home run machine. And I'll let you know more about the big night that this former Gator, Alonzo, Pete Alonzo, Got his second straight home run derby title. We'll tell you a little bit more about his background. Plus, although Pete Alonso's knocking home runs out on the baseball diamond, the U.S. team basketball, the team heading to the Olympics, continue to struggle. They've lost a second straight exhibition game. (laughs) And I don't know if this team's going to be two and done or three and done in Tokyo or not, but it looks like the U.S. basketball team is in a lot of trouble as it tries to get a gold medal, or any medal for that matter, across the Pacific. Now, across the Atlantic this week, it's the Open Championship, and we're going to let you know the tea times at the Open at Royal St. George's, and we'll discuss that because these tea times are going to be really early. In fact, for many of you across the South, you can stay up late, and somewhere around 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, you can tune in and see the opening rounds of the Open. At Royal St. George's. So if you're a golfer, your sleep schedule is going to be way off for the next couple of days. Speaking of golf, I'll also let you know that our friend Jason Nall is going to be swinging on by on the Friday edition of the Y'all Show and giving us his take on the Open of 2021 as he's a golf guru and he's our y'all.com golf insider. And he'll again appear with us on Friday's Y'all Show. And then in the world of sports, we'll let you know more about how The Stanley Cup was being celebrated by the Tampa Bay Lightning and stealing a chapter out of their neighbors, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Lightning with a Boat Parade in Tampa. And dadgummit, if the darn Stanley Cup didn't get dented during the Lightning's championship celebration, (laughs) I'll let you know more about that. Plus, a former Arkansas Razorback is turning his attention not to the gridiron, but instead to politics. We'll have all that on our sports report of this first hour of the all Show, plus, Today, our Spotlight College, we're on a 44-city tour across the southeast, and we're going to take you to Conway. Oh, it's going to be so fun. We're going to take you to the shores of O'Ree County in South Carolina. Our Spotlight School today is the Coastal Carolina Cockle doo the French Roosters, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. They are today's stop on our 44-City College Tour. We'll let you hear from the head coach of the chants, Jamie Chadwell, and also let you know more about this program that, remember, going back to 2020, I thought this team might be playing for a national championship. They only lost one game in 2020. They lost their bowl game. But I'll tell you about the defending Sun Belt champion, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, and what they've done there in the Grand Strand of South Carolina over the last 20 years. It's been rather impressive, and we'll put the chance front and center as part of our spotlight. We'll let you know about their first game taking place at Brooks Stadium early in September and walk through the rest of the schedule. they got the Kansas Jayhawks returning to Brooks Stadium, a team they've already defeated back-to-back years, KU. Rock Chalk, stay out of Coastal Carolina. I guess they're not getting the message there in Lawrence. They're going for a third straight defeat to the Sun Belt program. (laughs) We'll discuss that here in this first hour, Coastal Carolina's football team. Also, we'll be talking about Coastal in the third hour. We'll discuss some of the traditions, some of the famous alums of Coastal and more. It's Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina, and they are today's college football spotlight as we march toward Labor Day weekend. Before the hour is up, we'll also have a little political news We'll pass along the death of Lieutenant, or rather, the longtime governor. I think he was governor's second longest tenure in the history of Louisiana. Governor Edwin Edwards passed away on Monday at the age of 93. And we'll let you know more about this lion of Louisiana politics. All that coming up in our political report. Plus, we'll let you know more about how Democratic lawmakers in Texas boarded a plane on Monday and flew to Washington, D.C. And they're going to camp out there for quite some time. I'll explain just why in our political report later this hour. Hour two, quickly, we'll tell you that we've got an entertainment report headed your way, plus Matt Hermans, the barrister of Bodacious Barbecue, will be getting you ready for the grill, and we'll rewind a few weeks and get his encore presentation of grilling. All that in our second hour of today's Y'all Show, plus we'll also share with you Some of the good stuff at y'all.com, the South's homepage. Hour three today, more sports news, more about Coastal Carolina. We'll discuss the traditions of CCU and more. Also, in the third hour, we'll have a Southern accent on the arts. And wrap it up, get you ready for the Wednesday y'all show. That sounds like a pretty active show, don't you think? And we're actively going to do our best to bring you three hours of incredible y'all conversation here. Let's start it here, if you don't mind, the y'all show Tuesday edition. Okay, let's give you some Caribbean news here with a little bit of a southern twist, if you don't mind. Our first story comes to us courtesy of what's happened in Haiti over the last week as the president of that country was assassinated, and now it looks like a Florida-based suspect planned to take over the presidency, according to a police claim, as Police Chief Leon Charles has suggested that Christian Emmanuel Sanon may have plotted to assume haiti's presidency and christian emmanuel sanon 63 was the third haitian-born suspect with ties to the u.s arrested in the investigation surrounding the assassination of haitian president jovenel moise and he was killed last week and now haiti's national police arresting this florida-based doctor as a quote central suspect after the assassination from last week as Haiti's police chief Leon Charles suggested that Sinome may have plotted to kill Moisey and assume the presidency of self. That is what some news outlets are reporting. As Charles said, the interim uh, the chief of police there in Haiti, saying that this doctor arrived by private plane in June with political objectives and contacted a private security firm to recruit the people who committed this act, the initial mission that was given to these assailants was to protect the individual named Emmanuel Sanon, but for afterwards the mission changed. On Monday, the U.S. Department of Justice said it would assist in the investigation. It's a developing story coming out of both Florida and Haiti. A friend of Sanon in Florida told the Associated Press that Sanon claimed he was approached by people claiming to represent the U.S. state of justice departments, which intended to install him as president after Moisey was arrested, not murdered. But in the end, that Haitian president ended up being assassinated right there in his own house. Some reports say that he was tortured before he was killed. His wife was also shot. A very disturbing third world type story coming out of Haiti, which many would say is a third world country. And I'm not so sure that it's not as it is definitely i think the poorest country in north america i think that's technically still north america where it's located on the globe but yes right now a lot of unrest in the nation of haiti and now they're pointing eyes to a florida based suspect who had planned to take over the presidency according to haitian police now we'll also let you know in our second uh later this hour in our political report about what's going on in cuba as there's a lot of unrest, and the mayor of Miami is speaking out about what's happening in in, in, in in Cuba and how perhaps this country may not be doing what it needs to be doing to support those who are coming out against the communistic government, the leaders of Cuba today, as they're having lots of shortages, and it's just a, a country less than 100 miles away from Key West that is essentially a third-world country, just like Haiti. Lev we'll again, more on that in our political report. Now to Georgia, and a drunken man in the Peach State got kicked out of a club, returned later to open fire and plow his truck into the bar in Hiram, Georgia. Police saying the suspect was kicked out of the bar for being intoxicated, and now 34-year-old Eduardo Morales, who was asked to leave the bar in Hiram, about 26 miles west of Atlanta, he was drunk, asked to leave, and then he comes back. The Woodstock man comes back a short time later in his Dodge Ram truck and began firing a gun into the club. When his weapon was empty, according to police, Morales then drove the vehicle into the bar through the front doors and it struck numerous patrons. The truck came to a stop when it rammed into the bar. The vehicle then became stuck and unable to drive away. Morales then tried to reload his weapon. And just a awful scene there. Again, to my knowledge nobody was seriously hurt. One patron was grazed by a bullet and another patron was treated at a hospital after being struck twice by the vehicle. As someone there on the scene said, by the grace of God, nobody got shot because he shot directly in through his windshield into the bar. Morales being held in the Paulding County, Georgia jail. Police have yet to say any more about the details or what charges Mr. Morales may face, but what could be a Awful scene there in Hiram, Georgia, west of Atlanta. Turns out, by the grace of God, again, nobody hurt. But don't go taking your truck into a bar if you get kicked out. But note note to all y'all. Some business news. Have you ever heard of Smithfield Foods? That's a company that was founded in Smithfield, Virginia. And now Smithfield Foods will no longer slaughter animals in Smithfield, Virginia, the town where it was founded According to the Chief Administrative Officer of the company, Kira Lombardo, the decision comes after months-long internal reviews as Smithville Foods leaders determined that production would be shifted to other U.S. facilities. In the meantime, Smithville Foods will spend $5 million to reconfigure the facility to produce packaged meat like bacon. That means that hourly and salaried workers will be reassigned to other positions in the plant. Smithfield Foods meat processing facility there in Smithfield, Virginia, employs around 1,900 people. Smithfield Foods was founded in 1936. It was bought by Chinese firm WH Group, then known as Xionghui, in 2013. Yet again, kind of they kind of sneak up on us. Did you realize that Smithfield Foods is owned by a Chinese firm? <laughs> and no telling how many companies across the country, Chinese firms, which, of course, are technically owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, If the Chinese Communist Party wakes up one day and says, guess what? We're going to shut down Smithville Foods. We're going to pause their production because we don't want those lousy Southerners to have their bacon. I don't think anybody can stop them, can they? I mean, they're owned by a Chinese firm. Oh, man, I don't mean to get conspiratorial here with you today, but. Yeah, well, let me just go ahead and publicly announce here today. The Y'all Show and you com is not, and I repeat, not owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Customs and Border Patrol officers have seized meth. That's nothing new, but the reason this is a headline today is CBP seizing meth hidden inside of peanut shells. yes, next time you go open up your Jiffy peanut butter and or you go down to the local gas station and get you a nice little paper sack full of boiled peanuts, you might want to look twice because evidently somebody's putting in methamphetamine inside peanut holes. As CBP found a shipment of roasted peanuts that contained meth at the end of June, The shipment was listed as regional bread, roasted peanuts, regional dust, sweet, made of corn, (laughs) and was going from Mexico to East Texas. It was examined at the CBP's Express Consignment Hub in Memphis. Good job there, Memphis CBP. An x-ray revealed suspicious anomalies within the shipment when it was opened and ended up being found inside a bag of peanuts and other food preparation materials Officers cracked open the peanuts, and a white crystal substance was found concealed in the shells. A sample of the white crystal substance was tested, and it came back as methamphetamine. And CBP on CBP Gulf Coast at CBP Gulf Coast on Twitter puts out a tweet that says, "Anybody want a peanut?" Andre the Giant to Wallace Shawn, the Prince's Pride. CBP Memphis seizes 489 grams of methamphetamine hidden in individual peanut shells, good work by DFO New Orleans field office. I don't understand some of the lingo, but the bottom line is somebody in Memphis, somebody in the Gulf Coast region of Customs and Border Patrol was on their A game, and they're finding meth, I guess it it takes a lot of work to stick methamphetamine inside a peanut hole. I guess they take raw peanuts, or maybe roasted peanuts, crack 'em open, I'm just trying to understand what they're doing south of the border. Cracking open roasted peanuts, sticking meth inside of a peanut, and then maybe gluing them back together so it looks like peanuts. That's nuts, y'all. That is nuts. Another seizure story coming from my great law enforcement across the southeast. A eye-popping amount of six thousand false lashes have been seized at the Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport. False eyelashes seized by CBP agents after officials determined they were illegally imported from China to New Orleans. Oh, my goodness. Four boxes of long lashes seized Tuesday at this airport in New Orleans that were destined for a local beauty supply store in the New Orleans area. They had not been approved by the federal FDA and weren't labeled with the distributor's name or the manufacturer's name according to a release. And that means there's no way to tell whether the eyelashes had been exposed to disease during manufacturing or whether they were stored properly and kept away from insect-infested area. And now, somebody in New Orleans is not happy that their shipment of 6,000 false eyelashes that had not gone through the proper CBP rules and regulations. And now there's going to be, I guess, 6,000 false eyelashes probably come in pairs of two. So 3,000 people now around New Orleans are going to be eyelashless for quite a bit of time. And I know that's not necessarily what they want to be hearing in the Big Easy (laughs) to get their week started. We got a lot more news that we're going to be covering throughout the rest of today's show. So stay where you are. We're going to get to that But we're going to put news on the back burner for just a few minutes. When we come back, we're going to put sports front and center, and we'll let you know about Monday's home run derby and a Florida Gator doing quite well and that, plus golf getting ready for the Open Championship. That and some college football news and notes. All that ahead as the Y'all Show here on this Tuesday continues on. Don't forget, before the hour is up, we'll be spotlighting the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers of the Sun Belt Conference. We'll be right back.
1: Way our cold winds gonna blow. No need to hash things out again.
0: The final week of major golf for the year as golfers now, the big golfers at least, have made their way to England. This week it's the Open at Royal St. George's and Tea Times have just been announced for the first and second rounds of the Open. And I'm John Rawl. This is the Y'all Show, a little bit of a sports update for you here in this first hour. And yes, if you love golf, believe it or not, this is the final major and we haven't even hit August yet, but <laughs> that's how the schedule set up this year as the Open at Royal St. George's and Sandwich England teeing off. And let me tell you about the first round tee-off times, as it will begin bright and early, and I mean bright and early on Thursday. Technically, 1.35 Eastern time, 12.35 Central time, and just a matter of hours you can watch the Open Championship tee off. The first set of three teeing off, a couple of names I'm not all that familiar with, Marcus Armitage, Andy Sullivan, and Richard Bland teeing off at one thirty five Eastern. In the morning, by the way. <laughs> yeah, stay up late and take the day off, I guess. Let me tell you about any names I might recognize. Alex Noren, he's on the PGA Tour. He's teeing off at 2.08 Eastern on Thursday morning. And let's see here. Mm-hmm-hmm. Victor Hovland, former Oklahoma State golfer. He's teeing off pretty early. Also, Paul Casey, Englishman. Ian Poulter, great golfer there. Brooks Kepka, he's got a 3.03 Eastern, 2.03 Central, early morning time. You can go get you a little cup of coffee at your local Waffle House and stay up all night long and see Golf being played. Daniel Berger, former Florida State Seminole, just like Brooks Kepka, He's got a 314 Eastern, 214 Central tee time. Some other names. Let's see if we can't get some guys that you are definitely going to want to tune in and see. Dustin Johnson. He's got a 520 AM tee time, Eastern time. Harris English, who just won recently the Travelers Championship after eight round playoff holes. He, or eight playoff holes. English tees off there in England at 542 Eastern, 442 Central time. Lucas Glover, who just won this week the John Deere Classic. First win for him in 10 years. Glover teeing off at 553 Eastern time, 553 Clemson time for him. Also, former Vanderbilt golfer Brant Snedeker in that same threesome with Lucas Glover on Thursday. Harold Varner III, former East Carolina Pirate, Carolina Panther fan. Harold Varner III teeing off at 6:58 Eastern. How about let's see a guy who has won? Uh, maybe let's find a good Open Championship winner of recent years. Hmm. I don't think Phil Mickelson. By the way, he has not won the Open Championship that I'm aware of, and this is the last major he's not claimed. Phil Mickelson tees off. Your PGA champion of 2021. He's got a 9:48 in the morning tee time. 8:48. So if you want to see Lefty tee off, you don't have to stay up all night. Lefty's in a pairing with Kevin Kisner of Aiken, South Carolina. Those are those guys are all together there. And then round two kicking off on Friday. They're going from the tees starting at 135 Eastern on Friday for the second round. And then people hoping to make the cut. I'm excited. We're going to have Jason Nall stop by on our Friday all show. He'll be able to weigh in on what happened after the first round. Jason Nall. He is with College Tour X, which is a collegiate tour for college golfers. He's also the Y'all.com Golf Insider, and he'll be sharing his thoughts on the Open Championship when he drops by Friday. So just put that down in your docket, and let's try to make sure you don't miss out on Jason's coverage of the Open Championship later in the week. Let's tell you about Team USA. We're not going to get all that involved with what's going on with the Olympics, but it is noteworthy that the basketball team playing for the United States has now lost its second consecutive exhibition loss after Team USA lost to Australia. They just lost to Nigeria over the weekend, and now they're 0-2 in exhibitions as they get ready for Tokyo. And it's going to be tough to have a gold-winning event for this Team USA if they can't find a way to win as they were bested Monday by Australia ninety one to eighty three in Vegas. And it's not looking too good. Kevin Durant had seventeen points. Damian Lillard had twenty two points. It's not enough as Team USA goes down to the Aussies. And I'm gonna take a minute to editorialize, if you will, basketball in this country. Now that we're setting, getting ready to have basketball on display at the Olympics, and you get to see teams from around the world compete against the United States I'm afraid this latest trend of basketball in at least men's basketball is going to bite us this country in the took us women I'm not going to pick on women's basketball women seem to be a little bit better in my opinion of playing team basketball but in men's basketball at the college level and the high school level and definitely at the pro level it's all about me 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 in my opinion and these guys rush down the court put a basket shot up they don't work the ball around and these international teams are very good at moving the ball bringing the clock down and then ultimately getting the best shot up where in this country it's more about having a highlight play that gets on sports center that's my basketball opinion i'm a guy who never dunked a basketball in my life i sure tried though and The Team USA basketball team now 0-2 in exhibitions after their latest loss to the Aussies, for goodness sakes. And they lost to Nigeria over the weekend. We might be returning real quick to Tokyo with a basketball team, and I'm okay with that. That's the only sport, frankly, that I'm even 1% interested in in Tokyo. And if they decide to pack up and come on home after a quick exit that's just fine with yours truly. Let's tell you about the Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. They won their second straight Stanley Cup, and they celebrated this week in Tampa, and they tried to steal a page out of the defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers playbook as the Lightning had a boat parade of their own. And somehow, some way, the Stanley Cup, the actual trophy, got dented during the Lightning's championship celebration as Tampa Bay defeated Montreal 4-1 in their Stanley Cup series, and just whooped up on the Canadians, the Montreal Canadiens A, eh? and now Tampa Bay Lightning fans joining them Monday to celebrate, and sure enough, they dented the darn trophy. This is not the first time the Stanley Cup's been damaged during player festivities. Back in 2008, the Cup was pushed off a table at Chris Chelio's bar in Detroit as Detroit and the Red Wings celebrated their championship, hmm, but now it's been damaged again. Somebody better be careful with that thing. I would like to, just as a guy who I guess wants to show off my six-pack or whatever it's called on your arms, uh, it looks pretty cool when you can hoist that thing above your head, and a lot of the Lightning players are having that opportunity to do that now that Tampa Bay and the NHL has won their second straight Stanley Cup. A guy got to hoist the home run derby title over his head, on Monday in D- Denver, Pete Alonzo, he beat Man- uh, he beat Shohei Otani of the Angels. He also beat Mancini, Trey Mancini, and Juan Soto, as they had a record long ball night in the Rocky Mountain air of Coors Field. And this New York Mets player, the National League's Pete Alonzo, got his championship trophy where he hit seventy-four home runs. And he beat Mancini 23-22 in the final round. And that is the first time we've seen a guy have back-to-back home run derby titles since Yanis Cespedes did it back in 2013 and 2014. Ken Griffey Jr. did it for the M's in the late 90s. I guess he was with the M's at that point. It could have been with the Reds. Alonzo, with his home run derby feat, earned a million dollars. That's more than his annual $666,000 salary. <laughs> he's made $2 million in home run derby winnings in just the last couple of years. What a great, great feat. By Pete Alonzo. And if you're not familiar with Pete Alonzo, he's a first baseman with the New York Mets. He was born in Tampa and grew up there. He has a brother who has played lacrosse for Queens University. That's in Charlotte, And Pete Alonzo, again, a Floridian, he attended Jesuit High School in Tampa and then went to Henry B. Plant High School in Tampa to finish his high school career. He played lacrosse and football as a freshman before deciding to only play baseball. He then was good enough there at Henry B. Plant High School to get a scholarship and went on to play for the Florida Gators, where he was named All-SEC in his freshman year and ended up being selected by the Mets in the draft. He's been an all-star. He has been a first-team all-MLB player, rookie of the year back in 2018. And again, home-run derby champion in 2019 and this year. They didn't have it last year. And in uh, 2019, yes, he was the home-run leader for all of Major League Baseball. What a tremendous, tremendous career for this youngster who now in his MLB career has hit a total of 86 home runs. And he hasn't even been on a roster for more than three or four years. Pete Alonzo, one of the rising stars of sports, and a Florida Gator, congratulations, home run derby champion. All-star game is tonight. Again, not going to give you too much coverage of it because, frankly, the thing should have been held at Truist Park. It's in Denver. MLB got woke, and now maybe they'll go broke. Some political news now that we're talking a little politics. Let's tell you about a former Arkansas Razorback and a former New England Patriots defensive lineman, Jake Baguette. He has announced that he's going to be making a run for Senate. He's challenging Arkansas Senator John Boozman in next year's Republican primary. And now this former defensive lineman for the Hogs, an Army veteran, by the way, who also played eight games in the NFL with the Patriots after they selected him in the third round of the 2012 draft. He launched his bid with an online video showing his football and military background, and now he wants to go to Washington. Boozman, who was first elected to the seat in 2010 and was re-elected in 2016, has a lot of challengers on the Republican side in Arkansas in 2022. Other challengers include Jan Morgan, a gun range owner from Hot Springs, and I think there's one more. Boozman, also a former Razorback football player, won the endorsement of former President Trump this year. So it's going to be tough for this former Hog and Patriot defensive lineman, Jake Beget, to crack through. Again, he's challenging the current senator for Arkansas, Boozman, who is a name that, frankly, I'm not all that familiar with. And I try to be all that familiar with a lot of people. And perhaps the reason we don't know a lot about Boozman is he is not as vocal and not out there as much as Arkansas's other U.S. Senator, Tom Cotton. Maybe it's because John Boozman was born in Shreveport, for goodness sakes. He is a Arkansas alum, as we said, a guy that evidently played a little football there as he played uh, football in the early 70s for the Hogs. I guess that might have been in the Lou Holtz era. And then ended up going to the Southern College of Optometry. That's in Memphis. And I guess was an eye doctor for a long time in Rogers, Arkansas, before getting elected to the U.S. Senate. And has served two terms, or this will be his end of his second term when he decides to run again for a third term in 2022 but he was elected in the 2010 election as he was able to defeat Blanche Lincoln back in the 2010 race for Senate. John Boozman, and he's going to have some competition from the Republican party in the primary of Arkansas. And it's two former Arkansas Razorback football players going up against each other. Woo pig. Good luck to both of these fellows and whoever else might be running on the Republican and or democratic side in the natural state the y'all show will come back we will continue the football talk we'll talk about the coastal carolina chanticleers they're our latest stop on our tour across the southeast we'll have that plus before the hour's up information more on the political world that we'll share with you former louisiana governor edwin edwards has died at the age of 93 we'll share what we know about that this is the y'all show
2: The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather, Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny.
0: How about we go to the beach? It is July, after all. And there's one team in the South that is in one of the South's beach party capitals. It is Myrtle Beach. Technically, though, this school is a couple of miles inland from Myrtle Beach. It's Coastal Carolina University in Conway, South Carolina. And CCU, the Chanticleers, is where we're dropping by today. Get your, get your beach towel and your beach ball out. It's the little surf and... Green turf, teal turf to be specific, inside Brooks Stadium as coastal is where we're going. Remember in 2020, it was the coastal Carolina football team that captured the nation's attention as they had big wins over BYU. They beat Kansas and they did not lose a game for most of the season. I think they ended up having only one loss. And Jamie Chadwell, the coach of the Chants, ended up being the national coach of the year in all of college football. Talk about a Cinderella season for a team that had not even existed for more than 20 years on the gridiron. And at the FBS level, the Sunbelt Conference, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, a co-champion of that conference, ended up being one of the big storylines in a crazy 2020 season. I'm John Rawl. And it is time now on the Y'all Show to tell you a whole lot more about Coastal Carolina. Again, this is our latest stop. We're on a 44-city tour across the southeast. We're telling you all about these teams as they get ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. And Coastal is is where we're going to start with. Coastal's first game of 2021, again, coming off a remarkable 2020 season. A 2020 season where the Chanticleers went 11-1 and overall. They did not lose a single regular season Sunbelt Conference game. They got to go to the bowl game in Orlando. Unfortunately for them, they ended up losing that bowl game as they played there in that game in the Cure Bowl. They played the Liberty Flames and Hugh Freeze, and they lost that game in a heartbreaker 37-34 there at the end of 2020. But this year, Chanticleers, after that remarkable 2020 season, last year doesn't matter anymore. Their first game inside Brook Stadium is actually going to be played on that Thursday of Labor Day weekend, Thursday, September 2nd. A team that marched in there back in 2015 and won at the buzzer and it was the last game that Coastal Carolina ever played as an FCS team and this was in the FCS playoffs coming up from their fellow 843 area code in Charleston that is, the Citadel Bulldogs. Our Coastal Carolina's opening game opponent at Brook Stadium. And that's going to be a Thursday night game in Conway. The Citadel Bulldogs, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. That's the first game on the chance season. And then the following week, for Heroes Day there at Brook Stadium, it's the Kansas Jayhawks. Les Miles out as coach of KU. And now Kansas, for a third straight year, has Coastal Carolina on their schedule. And the Jayhawks will be in O'Ree County, to take on Coastal on September 10th, a Friday night game. The Chanticleers go to UB Stadium in Buffalo, where they'll take on the Buffalo Bulls on September 18th. They'll be at Brook Stadium to take on the Minutemen of UMass on September 25th. ULM, ULM, the first Sunbelt opponent, appears on Coastal schedule starting October 2nd. They'll be in Jonesboro to take on Arkansas State October 7th. That's a game going to be televised on ESPNU. ESPN2 has Coastal's game in Boone against Appalachian State on October 20th. The Troy Trojans will be coming in from the Wiregrass as they'll be taking on Coastal on October 28th, their Hall- uh, Halloween weekend inside Brooks Stadium. Georgia Southern is where the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers will be heading on November 2nd for a game at Allen E. Paulson Stadium in Statesboro. Georgia State will be inside Brooks Stadium on November 13th. And then the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers kind of wrapping up their season with a final home game against Texas State on November 20th. And they'll be at Hancock-Whitney Stadium and we'll be able to take on the South Alabama Jags on November 26th. And if they're lucky, they'll get back to a championship game appearance. Last year's championship game that they were going to be taking on Louisiana Lafayette, it got canceled because of a coronavirus outbreak. So hopefully there will be an actual Sunbelt championship game here in 2021, and Coastal can win this thing outright. But again, this is a football program that has only been in existence for about 20 years. It's a football team that got going, and the 2000 time period and it's a program again that's only had a couple of coaches remember their former coach Joe Moglia had been a guy who had been a multimillionaire businessman and he served as Coastal's head coach from 2012 to 2018 roughly as he had at one time been there at TD Ameritrade the head of that company and decided to get out of the business world and go into college football coaching and did a pretty good job he had Seasons where he went 12 and 2 and 12 and 3 as head coach of Coastal Carolina. Then Jamie Chadwell steps in and becomes the head coach of the program. And he's been in Conway now for several years. He took over back in 2019. And so 2019 season happened, 2020 happened, which was a COVID year. And Chadwell, who had been previously the head coach at Charleston Southern, Delta State, and North Greenville, the former ETSU Buccaneer quarterback, now a Carryville, Tennessee native, the 44-year-old has done remarkable work and only a couple of years on the job at Coastal Carolina. Let's go in and hear from Jamie Chadwell, coach of Coastal Carolina, a little bit more about his background and his inspiration as Chadwell was recently interviewed on the Life and Football podcast. Again, he was a college football quarterback for East Tennessee State in the Southern Conference and now at the Sunbelt Belt. Coastal Carolina University he has done enormous enormous work again winning coach of the year honors throughout football and has just taken this team in fact he won the AP college coach of the year award for all of 2020 the first time a coach from the Sunbelt conference has won the award and it's just the third time a coach from outside the power five conferences has gone on to win the AP college coach of the year here is your reigning coach of the year Jamie Chaiwell, some of the personal information about the Chanticleers head coach.
1: I knew after spring ball that we were not going to be as bad as people thought. Like our team really, even though COVID happened, we had a good spring. We actually had to get spring in. And the way they handled COVID throughout that time frame, they, that we had guys put their own weight rooms up in their apartments and different things just to try to find a way to still work. I felt like our leadership was strong. And and when we got back here in the summer, there was not a complaint. There was not, hey, Coach, we'll do whatever it takes for us to have a chance to play this season. And so I I was confident that we were going to have a good team now. You know, 11-1, and top 15 in the country. I'm not going to promise you I knew that. But I knew we had a special group. And it obviously, you know, showed as, as long as the season went on. My father was a high school football coach. And so my, my really, like, I was like, I want to coach. I wanted to coach high school. And that was sort of, this was my mindset, you know, just, I loved it. I loved being around it. And then after I got done playing, uh, you know, you're you're finishing up. I was graduating that spring and the coaches just said, hey, why don't you help us in the spring, just do some stuff. And you know what? I started doing it and it just sort of hooked me. It's like, hey, this college thing, I never even dreamed of it. But it just sort of hey, I liked it. So I started doing it. And uh but I knew I knew early on that I wanted to be a coach. And I say early on when I when I got into high school, like I knew that's what what I wanted to do.
0: And he's doing a darn good job of it. That was Jamie Chadwell, and again that is from the podcast, a good podcast out there if you have a chance to listen to it. Life and football. And he's talking about his 2020 team there that went on to be a tremendous story in 2020 with all the wins that they had and had a chance to go to the Cure Bowl and unfortunately lost a heartbreaker to Liberty. But the 2020 Sunbelt Champion, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, 11-1, and 1, a perfect conference record. What is expected of this team, Athlon Sports for 2021 is projecting another good year for Jamie Chadwell's Chanticleers. And part of the reason for that prediction for coastal football is quarterback Grayson McCall. He came on strong, and he had a big, big 2020 season as he had a lot of passing yards and touchdowns for the Teal Birds of 2020. Also, they're going to have some help in the backfield as well as Reese White and Shamari Jones, are going to pick up some of the production lost by C.J. Marable's departure at running back for Coastal Carolina. On the defense, the Birds are going to return one of the top lines in the Sunbelt Conference, and they're going to have a very strong linebacker unit and more as Terran Jackson was a departure; He's now with the Philadelphia Eagles, a great, great player for them. But they're also bringing in some transfers to help out on defense. Emmanuel Johnson, Trey Douglas, and Lance Boykin are part of the defensive chemistry for the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers as they try to have an incredible 2021 to match what they did in 2020. Again, for Coastal, it all gets going on that Thursday of Labor Day weekend when the FCSs and out of the Sun Belt, Citadel Bulldogs, come up US-17 from Charleston, and it'll be an all-South Carolina, Grand Strand, Low Country, Area Code 843 affair inside Brooks Stadium When you have that season opener and then just a couple days after that one against the Bulldogs, it's the Kansas Jayhawks coming in to Conway for another battle. It's almost like a rivalry now between Kansas and Coastal Carolina. And you know what, Coastal Carolina fans? You have certainly had the better of their series with Kansas as you've won every single game. Two of those, I think, were in Lawrence. And now KU, Rock Chalk, comes to the Grand Strand for a game on September 10th. Good luck to Coastal Carolina. We're going to tell you a lot more about this university in hour number three. We'll discuss some of the traditions of the teal. We'll let you know exactly what the heck a Chanticleer is. All that coming up, as well as some of the famous alumni of Coastal Carolina. One of their most famous alums is going to be teeing it up in the Open Championship this week, Dustin Johnson. All that more of Coastal Carolina coming your way, hour three. When we come back, we have a y'all political report. We'll tell you about the loss of Edwin Edwards, the longtime governor of Louisiana. He has died at the age of 93. That and much more as the Y'all Show continues. Go Chance! Louisiana girl there, Lainey Wilson. Lainey Wilson is doing wonderful right now with her latest country music song, but right there, a song from her debut album, Redneck Hollywood, L.A. When you say L.A., I think Louisiana (laughs) and lower Alabama, too. Speaking of the Pelican State, sad news from New Orleans and Louisiana and Baton Rouge and Laney Wilson's hometown in Northeast Louisiana. Edwin Washington Edwards, the high living, quit witted, four-term governor of Louisiana, who shaped that state's oil revenues and dominated state politics for decades, died on Monday. Edwin Edwards was ninety-three years old. He had suffered from respiratory problems for a long time. Unfortunately, It caught up with him. We just told you the other day on the show how Edwards himself checked himself into hospice. And now this longtime politician, a member of the Democratic Party, who before becoming governor was a congressman in Louisiana's 7th congressional district, the 50th governor of Louisiana, with four terms that he served, and they were not all in consecutive order. He served two consecutive terms, 1972 to 1980, He then served in 1984 until 1988, and his last term as governor was from 1992 to 1996. (laughs) And his time leading Louisiana did not come without controversy. I'm not going to talk bad about the fellow here who was born in Avoyles Parish near Marksville, Louisiana. His daddy was a half-French Creole Presbyterian sharecropper. His mother was a French-speaking Roman Catholic. There in Avoy's Parish, Marksville, which is kind of on the uh, DMZ of Cajun versus non-Cajun in Louisiana. Edwin Edwards passing away at age 93. And his most recent wife, Trina Grimescott, saw a picture of her. And she looks like she's about 50 years younger than he. So Edwin Edwards, I guess, had a little bit of the charm you could get those young ladies, I guess, when you're a powerful figure as he was there. And uh, by the way, he married Tina Grimes Scott at a New Orleans hotel. A prison pen pal, uh, evidently, was what this woman was. She's 51 years his junior, and she was born midway in his second term as governor. And she's a Republican, and she married Edwin Everts in <laughs> in 2011. And they were part of a reality show. You might have seen that. The Governor's Wife, which was on A&E. And, yeah, how about that one? As if he didn't have enough drama going on. He had a wife 50 years younger than he was. And, again, he had all kinds of problems. Ended up uh, uh, getting in trouble and more. You can, again, go... Find out more about the indictment and conviction of Edwin Evers when you get a chance. But he has passed away at 93 years old. Terry McAuliffe, who's running for governor of Virginia, he's now being confronted on his endorsement of calling for the end of Ralph Northam, the current governor of Virginia, as he asked for his resignation back when there was a blackface scandal for the current governor of Virginia. Now Terry McAuliffe, who was a governor in the past, trying to become the next governor of Virginia, Northam has endorsed McCullough for governor, but right now, McCullough is refusing to answer questions about accepting Northam's endorsement after calling on Northam to resign after that 2019 blackface scandal. So we'll find out how big of a deal this ends up being for these two, as they have, I think, a pretty good challenger from the Republican side, Glenn Youngkin. He's a businessman, and he's out with a lot of money, a lot of effort, trying to make at least this race for governor in Virginia competitive, as this is a state that's had a long history of having Democratic leadership. And essentially, Virginia is completely Democratic right now. In Texas, it has a large Republican presence, but the Democrats in the Lone Star State are currently trying to hold on. And it looks like one way of they're trying to hold on, at least when it comes to some election controversy and or trying to stop elections bills from passing that would reform the way elections are held in the Lone Star State, a whole bunch of Democratic state legislatures got on a plane Monday and headed to Washington, D.C. They did that to prevent Republicans from passing a bill that tightens ballot access during a special session in Austin that has begun. And a bunch of these folks, again, I saw the picture of them on a plane, got on the plane and headed to Washington, DC. And they're going to camp out there. I guess there's some kind of loophole in the legislation of Texas or the rules of Texas that says you can't have a quorum to go forward with legislation if you don't have enough people maybe from the other side in the state's borders. And that's why they've fled Texas for a couple of days. This is a developing story out of Austin, but a, a strange twist again for these various Democratic legislators in Texas to get on a plane and escape Texas and might be out of the state for quite some time, based on the reports that I'm seeing. How about Georgia? Tax revenue in the Peach State leapt more than $3 billion last year as state tax receipts jumping by this huge amount. In the year that ended June 30th, Governor Brian Kemp announcing Monday, that he's setting up an election year session in which lawmakers will have many options for how to spend the money or perhaps cut taxes. Georgia collecting $26.9 billion in revenue. That's 13.5% gain from 2020's $23.7 billion. Lawmakers had cut spending sharply before the 2021 budget year began, fearing revenue would plunge because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But Peach State lawmakers now With a $3 billion surplus as state tax receipts jumping by that much, that's good news for Georgia lawmakers. Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, he is the longtime congressman representing some of the South Carolina low country. And Jim Clyburn said it's time for the president, President Biden, to embrace more aggressive changes to the Senate rules that would help scrap filibusters from happening and that's part of the election reform. As Clyburn told Politico that President Biden should endorse the idea of creating a carve-out to the legislative filibuster in the Senate for legislation that applies to the Constitution. In effect, the reform would make it possible for Democrats to pass sweeping elections reform bills and another bill authorizing a key section of the 1965 Voting Rights Act with only Democratic support. That's the idea being posed now, by Jim Clyburn of South Carolina as he's trying to get President Biden's attention and get the filibuster out and get some of this Democratic ideas for voting reform in. The mayor of Miami, Florida is blasting the far left on their silence after protests in Cuba have kicked off in the last couple of days and the mayor saying the crisis exposes the fallacy of socialism. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez said the truth of the matter is it's never worked and it's never going to work. And this Republican, again, mayor of Miami, Florida, has called out the far-left silence over the pro-democracy protests currently underway in Havana and throughout Cuba. And that country, again, for decades has been ruled by a communist dictatorship. And as this mayor says, Mayor Suarez, it's a false promise. Communism is, as his father, Xavier, was the city's first Cuban-born mayor. In Miami, that is, a Cuban defector, if you will, that came over and started a new life in this new country. And now he's trying to make a difference there. Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel Bermudez, who's also head of the Communist Party, released a statement that warned the Cuban revolution is not going to turn the other cheek to those who attack it in virtual and real spaces, and that his government will, quote, avoid revolutionary violence, but will repress counter-revolutionary violence and if you saw the footage like I saw you saw people throughout the streets of Havana waving American flags shouting freedom and more and you know the Cuban American population of South Florida and throughout the country sees that and they want this this country the good old U.S. of A. to help them out and that doesn't mean going down there and bringing millions of people from Cuba to this country it means making Cuba more democratic and more free and that is a good idea as the mayor of miami says communism and socialism is a fallacy and it's not going to work it's never worked the words of miami mayor france francis suarez and i guess we'll just have to take him in his word for it because he ought to know being the son of someone who escaped cuba many many years ago And that wraps up our political report here of y'all talk with a Southern accent that also will put this first hour in the books. When we come back, we will shift over and let you know some of the entertainment news and more going on in Hollywood. We'll tell you about Black Widow. We'll tell you about some country music news. All that's ahead. It's our entertainment report and it's going to get our second hour kicked off right after this. we're back for more talk about the southeast if you are a resident of or have any of these states in your heart i think you're going to love the next couple of hours of talking about the south alabama arkansas florida georgia kentucky louisiana maryland mississippi missouri north carolina oklahoma south carolina tennessee texas virginia and west virginia we cover those 16 states like the dew covers dixie y'all and we have all of the information that you need about those 16 southern states and more importantly the people of those states right here smattered splattered spattered covered whatever they say at a waffle house that's a good place right there and it's right out of the south here in this hour of y'all we've got a look at entertainment news black widow is making lots of dough we'll explain also, we'll tell you a little bit more about the Spears family, just what you need to get your day going. An update on Britney Spears and how about her sister? She's in the news. We'll explain here. Also, some news out of Nashville, including some Garth Brooks news. All that's coming up in our entertainment report. Also, this hour, our barbecue barrister is filing a report, Matt Herman's. Stay tuned for Grill Talk from Matt Herman's. And for, for the hour is up, We'll let you know the latest of what's on the South's homepage, y'all.com. Some fantastic stuff. We just put some stuff over the weekend that you're going to enjoy reading about, and it's free of charge. It's y'all, and it's available for you to go gander. But don't do it totally without listening for the rest of the show. We, If you can multitask, go for it. If you can, if you're like me, you might want to just listen to this show for a few more hours and then, then pull up y'all.com. And then you can fully absorb all the good stuff there at the website. I'm just not one of those people that can do about five things at once. I have to only do one usually. Sorry, just not uh, built the way that some of you are. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with the show all about the South. And we can take text at that number. We can take telephone calls too. But welcome any feedback you have, 803 803- 816-1170. And if you want to go really old school, we've got an email address, mail, mail at y'all.com. Y'all.com, the South's homepage. Our email address is mail at y'all.com. Let's get into some of the entertainment goings on around the country, and we'll start off with some Black Widow news. Have you seen this movie? Are you going to make plans to see this movie? Black Widow has snagged 80 million dollars in its theatrical theatrical debut and it has also gotten another 60 million dollars from Disney Plus quite a haul for this movie it's 80 million dollars at the domestic box office makes it the most of any film released in the wake of the COVID epidemic the biggest movie that we've seen in quite some time. Again, Walt Disney, revealing that it garnered more than $60 million from just its Disney Plus Premier access. Black Widow, $78 million from its international ticket sales. I guess it's going to help put movies, making movies great again is Black Widow. <laughs> Scar Joe, big role here. And... Financially, this thing is doing quite well with its numbers there. Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh star as Natasha and Yelena and Marvel's Black Widow in theaters now and pulling in now over $150, hundred and fifty, sixty million 60000000 million, something like that. And if you haven't seen it, hmm, you might want to go in there and see it soon. Hopefully, a lot of movie theaters with the release of this movie have now opened up much of the seating and it's like it was back in 2019 perhaps when you go in and see movies like black widow in theaters across the southeast and more now to that promised spears family news as jamie spears says in a new court filing that he that would be her father jamie spears that he and other spears family members have received death threats and Jamie Spears in this court filing has had these death threats as a result of the legal battle surrounding his 13-year conservatorship with his daughter pop star Britney Spears the revelations the, the latest revelations coming out after the pop star's conservator of her person Judy Montgomery filed a petition on Wednesday of last week to request additional security support due to recent quote marked increase in the number and severity of threatening posts on social media platforms, text messages and phone calls. Now, J- Jamie Spears, father of Britney, who is a co-conservator of his daughter's 60 million dollar estate, has objected to Montgomery's request, Jody Montgomery's request in court documents obtained citing an estimated cost of more than a month for 24-7 security for an indefinite period of time to be paid for by the estate. So it's getting nasty. It's getting ugly. And according to the filing, Jamie Spears has been the subject of innumerable and ongoing threats as well, not just recently, but for years. Somewhere, somehow, I think the Spears family and all needs to just get along. Can't we all just get along with uh, Jamie Lynn and, and then you got... Jamie, the dad, and and more. And now Jamie Lynn, the sister of the actress, uh, the sister of the singer-actress Jamie Lynn, she also evidently has received threats. The Zoe 101 star went on Instagram to ask people to please stop with the death threats, especially the death threats to children, for goodness sakes. In powerful court testimony last month, Brittany described her conservatorship as abusive and pleaded with the court to end it. They've got another hearing coming up, and that's going to be on Wednesday in L.A. Perhaps it will come to an end, but a just awful, awful thing playing out before our very eyes and also playing out in the media, for goodness sakes, for this Kentwood, Louisiana family, the Spears. Did you realize this week is Shark Week? Shark Week. See, now you know why you haven't been able to sleep so good. Shark Week right now going on. And if you have not seen the latest episode or or one of the episodes of Jaws, (laughs) uh, this would be a good week perhaps for you to check out Shark Week. Three things, according to an article up at CNN.com, three things to watch during Shark Week. Discovery has a program called Shark Week. And you can go check out all kinds of shark stuff. Tiffany Haddish hosts an episode of this thing. So that is one thing. Gossip Girl is another thing you can do to enjoy during Shark Week going on right now. All this again, during Shark Week, what you can do to get you through the fun. And does Shark Week really have to happen right in the middle of the summertime when people are out at the beach and more? Makes you want to maybe decide to skip the beach this year and head to the mountains for vacation vacation. South Carolinian Darius Rucker says a golf cart ride with Rascal Flats nearly landed he and Rascal Flats in jail. As it evidently in a TikTok video, Rucker said after a concert with Rascal Flats in Toronto, they took a golf cart ride, he and Gary Laveau and Joe Don Rooney of Rascal Flats, they took a golf cart ride together. They tried to cross a highway there in Canada, when Rucker says they saw blue lights behind them and Rucker recalled getting pulled over in the golf cart, the cop wanting to arrest them. And the funniest thing about the whole thing is the cop stops us and me and Joe Don and did the old pretend that we're not going there thing. We just got out of the golf cart and started walking back and we were leaving Gary right there. He was going to jail by himself and we were out of there, but obviously none of us went to jail. Our security came over and got us, but that was one of the few nights of my life. I thought I was going to jail. Has Darius Rucker never been to jail? Did they not arrest him as a youngster there at the University of South Carolina on the streets of Columbia or maybe back in Charleston? It sounds like he's been a little angel throughout his career and his personal life, too. So good job if that is indeed the case. Darius Rucker recently had his 10th number one country hit with Beers and Sunshine, and he's also got a follow-up out now called My Masterpiece. Those are from an upcoming album that Rucker's been working on with no release date quite set. But how about that? A golf cart in Canada nearly getting some country music royalty, Darius and Rascal Flatts, in the Canadian jail. I wonder if they serve Canadian bacon in the jails of Canada. Garth Brooks has revealed why he doesn't sell tickets to the first rows of his concerts and a recent garth ask garth segment of his inside studio g facebook show the oklahoma singer reveal why as a rule he never sells those tickets the answer reveals much about garth both as a performer, performer and as a person brooks says that he is tired of dealing with ticket scalpers and disinterested spectators not really into the music and looking around to see who's seeing them being there at the show. So after consulting with other members of other regularly scheduled touring acts like Metallica and U2, he came up with a strategy. He's giving away prime tickets to fans who had already purchased upper deck seats. Brooks says that he sends his crew up to the highest sections, furthest away from the stage, and gets those people to come down where they're very excited to be down in front. That's a unique way of dealing with your fans there again, keeping those couple of rows vacant until the last minute, and then really putting on the surprise to the nosebleed section and having them come on down to hear songs like Friends in Low Places and my Garth Brooks favorite, Much Too Young to Feel This Danged Old. Speaking of feeling old, did you realize this year 2021 marks the 25th anniversary of a mississippi born texas raised singer and her debut on the country music charts it was 25 years ago that this song here captured a nation and started a pretty successful career are you ready for it it's a throwback here on the y'all show Blue, the debut album for Leanne Rhimes, was released July 27th of 1996, and now Leanne has teamed up with Apple Music's Kelly Bannon to talk about the 25th anniversary of her debut. And Leanne Rhimes saying, "I was going to speak to truth in the way I knew how as a kid. I think she was 13, 14 years old when this thing came out." Rhymes saying it was clearly set out for everyone on that record, more so than I realized or anybody realized at the time. The Pearl, Mississippi native, and this entry into country music with this song, Blue, and it was such a big, big song and big, big album. Blue, the debut album, reached the top of the country albums chart, and it stayed there for 28 weeks. It also landed at number three on the Billboard 200 and in addition to this song the debut it had One Way Ticket as well as Hurt Me Unchained Melody The Light in Your Eyes and a whole bunch of other great songs on Curb Records Leanne Rimes Chris Rogers directed that song there the music video and more for Leanne Rimes I remember seeing her right when that song came out I was working just across the parking lot from the Grand Ole Opry and CBS I guess they still have this program, 48 hours. They sent a correspondent to follow Leanne Rimes right when she was just getting going. And I remember seeing her walk into the Grand Ole Opera House. And I think she came over to my office because my boss was her director's wife, Tracy Rogers, at CMT. So, yeah, I saw Leanne back in 96. And I saw her recently being interviewed on one of these reality shows. And she's still got it got that voice got that sound and i know she's not had the most perfect of careers and personal lives and more but uh she's still uber talented and we wish her well and again congratulations to the mississippi girl leanne rhymes 25 years of blue that wraps up our entertainment report we'll be right back here on the y'all show stay tuned because when we return our barbecue barrister matt Herman's, will be dropping by with a report on grilling My You know, it's the South and in Dixie. We love to get out there and grill, grill, grill. And when we have a chance here on the Y'all Show to bring on our grilling guy, Matt Herman's, the barrister of bodacious barbecue, we let you know all about grilling and Q and cooking up the right hot dogs and hamburgers and ribs or whatever else you got planned, even some of the good fixings and sides, Matt Herman's can weigh in on. And we're going to go now to him as he is with y'all.com and our grilling expert, the bodacious barbecue barrister. Welcome back into the show. And Matt, I just, I have to ask as we bring you on here periodically, uh, we're not burning our bridges with you. Hopefully we're we're not asking way too much of you to come on here and talk about things like barbecue and grilling with you. That's not too much of a problem, is it?
3: That's never. This is what I look forward to doing, John. This is uh, this is my dream. I get to live it, so I'm very happy about that.
0: I didn't really want to talk about grills, but prior to jumping in here and doing this interview with you, I, I kid you not, I was driving down the road, and I was listening to a radio station, and they were talking about grills, and I said, Allah, you must be trying to tell me I need to talk about grills with Matt Hermans.
3: Is that French? <laughs> <laughs> Allah?
0: No, it's not. <laughs> No, I'm just being a wise guy, but uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked about grills in a while. We are adding, I'm going to do a little Donald Trump here. I'm going to brag. Is that okay if I start bragging about how wonderful we are?
3: Absolutely. I'm, I'm ready to hear it.
0: We are just growing. We are getting stronger every day with the Y'all Show and you com, and because we've got thousands of new viewers every day as we make Y'all great and making it greater than it ever has been... Because of the fact we've got a lot of new eyes and ears, people may not be able to uh, go back and, and easily find some of the conversation that we've had about grills. So my point of bringing all this up with you, barbecue barrister Matt Hermans, is the fact that when you go grill shopping, if you haven't done that quite yet, how important is it for you to take your time and maybe spend more money than you had planned on spending to get a very good quality grill? Is that true?
3: Well, well, yeah. Um, you, there is no, yeah. You get what you pay for. I mean, this, this, this is a uh, this is a saying for a reason, right? You do sometimes you got to spend a little bit money, a little bit more money, to get something that's going to last you longer. Or in, in the case of a grill, maybe something that's just going to work a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different kinds of grills, obviously, a charcoal grill uh, and a gas grill, and you know, those are very, very, very different cooking devices, to, to be sure. Charcoal grill, I mean, you're talking about, when you talk about spending money on a charcoal grill, I mean, there's, there's really not a whole lot you can, not. there's not, you can't go that high, put it that way. There are some very, very nice charcoal grills. Uh, Weber makes one, it's called the Charcoal Summit, which is an incredibly nice charcoal grill and smoker. How much? But it's something. Uh, you're talking between a thousand and fifteen hundred and $1,500, but, um, most charcoal grills, uh, are just, are, are relatively, I mean, it's about as simple as you can get, right? You got burning charcoals, you have a grate, uh, you put the meat above the charcoal on a grate and that's how you do it. Right. Uh, so it's relatively simple. Um, Gas grills a different story. You've got all kinds of different moving parts. You've got propane. You've got different types of bars that distribute the heat. You got different types of igniter. You've got different types of uh, heat regulation. Whether it's you know three burner, two burner, four burner, more. You have side burners. You've got smoker boxes that have their own little. Uh, Burner underneath you've got a lot going on with gas grills So you can spend a very little amount of money or you can spend a lot of money on a gas grill So I would say yeah, you need to shop around you need to look Um, Different quality levels for sure if you want a grill that's going to last you a very very long time You're probably gonna have to pay a little bit more money for it particularly a gas grill Um, If you want something that'll just get the job done for a little bit see how it goes and you know Maybe test your your grilling ability you don't have to spend a night you may be able to get out of the store for you know two three hundred bucks but uh there is a wide range of options uh when it comes to gas grills i mean you're talking about cars right about everything from a smart car to a you know a mercedes or something like that you have that type of option with gas grills uh, so it's worth the shop it's worth the look uh it's worth thinking about your budget and honestly how much are you going to use it you know people That's another big thing. So you may not need an eighteen or hundred or $2,200 gas grill that's built like a tank. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to use it once a month to cook some chicken breast, you know, you're going to get more mileage out of a less expensive grill. If you're getting somebody like me, if you're going to fire up and not necessarily a gas grill, but a lot of people use a gas grill like an outdoor kitchen. I mean, if you're going to cook meat, if you're going to cook pizza, you can cook it on a gas grill. If you like to get outside a lot and you're using it more than once a week. You may want to pay up for something that is going to be able to withstand that type of wear and tear. Um, So, yeah, that's another big, big factor, I would say.
0: Very important information. Now, we're not being endorsed by the gas grills nor the charcoal grills, although we should be endorsed and compensated Big time by those companies. So since we aren't, at least we're not right now. We're just being real. We're keeping it real here on yeah. y'all. And I have to ask you, Barbecue Barrister, if I were have, if I had to guess, I would think that the the gas grill has a shorter life than the charcoal grill. Is that a fair assumption?
2: Uh, I
3: mean, yeah. Um not for any other reason um other than so there's nothing special about a charcoal grill that that's going to make it wear out any quicker i mean you got charcoal at the bottom which is kind of like you know know, heat sitting on it but you usually have a grate the reason i would say you're right about that is because there's just a lot of moving parts on a gas grill a ton right a charcoal grill is literally the simplest method of cooking known to humankind you basically have hot coals that you light when those coals get hot you put a grate on it you put your meat on the grate you burn it that, that's what happens okay there's no lighter there's no gas tubes there's no tank there's no regulator there's no screw cap for the uh for the regulator there's no spider guards for the uh the gas you go on and on and on about what the guts of the gas grill is but a gas grill is very, very complicated compared to a charcoal grill, which is essentially, uh, you know, a hole in a ground <laughs> that, you, that a caveman would put something above. I love charcoal grilling, obviously, but gas grill, much. there's much more to break. Let's just put it that way. So um, yes, there are a number of things that could go wrong with a gas grill that could cause you to not be able to use it. So yeah, I mean, if you've got something to hold charcoal, it's a charcoal grill and you can theoretically you know use that thing forever with, with no reason to replace anything right but uh yeah so you're right
0: yeah I, 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 a lucky guess there we're not done with our barbecue barrister when we come back we'll continue grill talk with matt hermans 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us if you have a question about grills feel free to ask old matt any old grill question the y'all show continues after this
3: 51. Run that right by my
2: baby door. Now if I don't get the good, I'm loving. Ain't going down Highway 51
0: no more. Mm-hmm. Don't blame him. But back on the Y'all Show. We're continuing on now with our talk about the Southeast. I'm General John Rawl, the General of all things Southern. John Rawl, CSA certified Southern American. And we got a fellow CSA. Continuing to talk with us about grilling and more, it's Matt Herman's He is the barrister of Bodacious Barbecue. And he comes on here to tell us about what all is going on in barbecue world and more. And we're going to continue our discussion about the different grill types. I sometimes sound like a guy who knows nothing about grilling. And you know what? There's some truth to that. I really don't know a whole lot about grilling. That's why I got Mr. Herman's the barrister on here to tell us about it because maybe you're like me and you're grilling challenged. Well, he comes on to help us each and every week. So Matt Hermans, I'm just going to shut up and let you keep on talking about grilling. Now, realistically, if you had to predict the amount of money, this is kind of like the price is right. I need to make your best guess here. What what amount are we talking about to get an extremely good quality, long lasting grill? The minimum amount you're probably are going to have to spend for a charcoal grill, and the minimum amount for a gas grill to have again a long lasting and very effective grill.
3: I mean, a charcoal grill. There's different kettle type grills. You can spend 100 bucks on 150 bucks. $100. are they long lasting? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. And for the charcoal, yeah, you can get a nice charcoal grill. Again, it's just a, a porcelain coated um, shell. For a gas grill, I mean, you, you're there are some grills out there where you, uh, again, we don't we don't have any connection to any of these grill companies, but there are grills but you can look at. We should, at say, but we should absolutely right. There are grills you can look at and say, oh wow, this is you know it's got a lot going on and you know it looks kind of fancy. You're gonna have to spend. For a good gas grill, a good one, you know, spend eight nine hundred bucks, maybe okay. more than a thousand dollars on a good one. Put it that way.
2: I gotcha, you,
0: gotcha. You. That's why we have you here to ask, uh, to answer these questions and more. Now, again, I said that I was inspired here to talk about grills today with you because I heard my fellow radio broadcaster, the great George B., talking about it on his radio program, and he said he had a Weber grill that he's had for twenty four years and he's never had to replace it the only thing he had to replace was some kind of module that goes in it that helps put out a certain flavor what was he talking about there
3: yeah he's talking about the flavorizer bar which is just a uh, it's just a v-shaped porcelain um rod that goes over the uh the flame tube to kind of distribute the heat evenly is what he's talking about. It just probably rotted out over the years, but that's not an uncommon story.
0: 24 years for a Weber grill
3: there, especially the ones made, you know, in the United States a few years back. Yeah. They can last a long time. Uh,
0: He said it and I don't want to fight him on it. He said that it lasted him that long. And so kudos to him for an impressive feat there for such a long period of time all right absolutely. so there you have it. we've kind of broken it down here with the fact that you can get a grill that can last you a very long time if you're lucky and then you have that flavor bar that matt Herman said those are fairly inexpensive compared to buying a whole new grill
3: oh absolutely yeah very very cheap repair if that's the only thing that's falling apart on that grill that's a 20 dollars fix easy
0: oh okay matt anything else barbecue and, and grill-wise that you might want to throw out there before we sign off with you?
3: I would just say, um, you know, it's good to have both. Oh, really? <laughs> what I would tell people. Good to have both. Good to have a gas grill and a charcoal cooker. We, we've talked about smokers and barbecue, which is a different category. We've talked about those as well. But if you're like talking about grilling, I'd just say, look, get you an inexpensive charcoal grill It's not going to cost you a lot of money. Um, and get you a gas grill because you're going to – you're gonna if you really like grilling, you're going to want to do both. You're going to want that charcoal flavor, and then you're going to want the convenience of the gas grill. So why not both?
0: And I wasn't expecting to keep this conversation going, but I have to because it's my job as a journalist to talk about things whenever they pop up. So what's the difference cooking-wise when Matt Hermans is ready to grill and he's got the big choice, he's got a path in the road – and you can go down this road, or you can go down the road less traveled. Which road is it when you talk about gas versus charcoal? What's the, what's the difference?
3: Well, there's a big difference. Um, you know, a charcoal grill, you got to light the charcoal. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking know, about we, all I'm
0: talking what food choices are we talking about?
3: Oh, yeah. So I would say there's there's some there are some meats that just really want to be cooked over charcoal okay steak uh burgers uh those type of meat the fattier the meat uh the more it really wants charcoal um (laughs) a linear kind of meat maybe fish or chicken or you know some uh, pork chop even maybe um can work fine on a gas grill uh but hamburgers, steaks, things that have a lot of fat to them, they really want that charcoal because the fat drips down onto the coals, gives you a certain flavor from the charcoal that you're just never going to get from a gas grill. Um, So I would say the general rule is the fattier the meat, the more it wants charcoal, the leaner the meat, you can get away with it.
0: There you have it. See, that's simple. I knew you had a real simple explanation of when you're picking out your meats, okay, gas, charcoal, gas, charcoal, gas, charcoal, and now I know. Fatty equals charcoal oh yeah things like fish put it on the grill on the electric or not electric on the on the uh, you, you know gas saying, <laughs> gas grill <laughs> yeah.
3: or electric gas grill, grill Matt hey we both had our issues today right
0: yeah we did we did we did Matt Hermans thank you uh, you just do such a good job I'm just so proud of you Brownie I'm blushing yeah alright Matt Hermans said, thank you have a great week and good happy grilling to you
3: you too, John. Happy to do it. Can't wait till next week.
0: Alright, Matt Herman's The Barbecue Barrister. When we come back, we'll wrap up the second hour up. We're gonna take a look at what's up at y'all.com, the South's homepage. I think there'll be something just for you. We'll let you know what that is on the other side of this break. supernova this is the y'all show wrapping up our second hour of covering everything southern here and let me remind you that the y'all show was presented in part by the south's homepage, Yall.com. y'all.com and friends if you go there right now we have a complete example of the variety that you'll find at y'all.com we have got video interviews, we've got exclusive interviews and features that you're just not going to find anywhere else. Let me brag what we've just put up in the last couple of days. We've got up a very helpful story by Ainsley Lawrence how to keep your southern home fresh and ready for our company want to help you reduce the risk of any kind of problem you might have, but if you've got company coming over, we have Ainsley's article up about how you can freshen up that house and add some touches. Maybe if you have time, go and repaint a few rooms, add accent rugs, and more. All that is an article up right now on the homepage at y'all.com. Ainsley Lawrence, great job there with that feature. We have awesome video interviews. Many of the interviews are also included here on the Y'all Show. You can go right now and watch, not just here, but watch. Our Taco Polo storyteller interview from this week on The Y'all Show. Jerry Short does a fantastic job, and you can see the Septuagenarian in action right here, especially when we talk about plastic surgery with Jerry. That's at y'all.com right now. We also have Tricks of the Trade. That is Southern Home Improvement Honeydew Helper himself, John Allen. He and the great Jimmy Duke team up each week for Tricks of the Trade. And that is available at you com. You can watch those two great Southerners together answer questions from all over the South about how to help out there at the home. And I'm trying to think this week here on the show, they talked about something I'd never heard of, tack rags. Y'all ever heard of a tack rag? They discussed what exactly they are and how they can come in helpful. They had a phone call come in about roots interfering with the sewer line and how to replace that. It's, it's. Pretty scientific, heavy-duty stuff, y'all. And if you don't know how to replace or fix a sewer line that's got a root growing into it, especially around the bend, the elbow, if you will, of a sewer line, well, John Allen, he knows what he's talking about. And you can tune in you com and check out the great video interview of Tricks of the Trade. Plus, we have a video interview up that we'll be playing a portion of that, on Wednesday's Y'all Show, writer who does a great job. She's a former Chattanooga Times Free Press journalist, and now she's writing for y'all. And Anna Brawley is going to be on Wednesday's Y'all Show. She'll be here in just a few hours to tell us about her trip recently to Ducktown and Copper Hill, Tennessee, as well as McKaysville. That is in North Georgia. These three cities are all within a couple of miles of each other. And it is a fantastic conversation that we're going to have on the Wednesday Y'all Show with travel and food writer Ann Brawley. You can watch our interview with Ann at y'all.com right now. You can also go to you and get linked to Ann's incredible travel feature of these three Tennessee and Georgia towns. And it is delicious. The various food places on display there in the area, including Katz's New York Deli. You also have a Cuban restaurant in the area called Rum Cake Lady Cuban Cafe. You have a wonderful Tex-Mex place called Habanero's Fresh Tex-Mex. That's in Copper Hill, Tennessee. Hey, don't forget in Ducktown, Tennessee, Rod's Rock and Rolls. And Anna did a great job. She has gone into this portion of Tennessee. and has gone in and done a fantastic job of covering all these restaurants and the attractions available in these two towns in Tennessee and the one town in North Georgia. It's Ducktown, it's Copperhill, and it's McKaysville. And if you tune in on Wednesday's Y'all Show, you can hear my interview with Ann Brawley, but you can also go to y'all.com right this very second and watch our interview with her and enjoy learning more about this place in, I guess it would be the very southeastern corner of Tennessee and the very north end of georgia for mckaysville and a great option for you if you're looking for a cool place to travel kind of in the heart of the south these three communities offer that and we'll tell you a lot more come wednesday on the y'all show looking forward to our conversation with ann brawley a former chattanooga times free press writer now writing for y'all.com and being interviewed by the y'all show We've got a whole nother hour of talk with the Southern Accent coming up, so you don't want to miss out on the fun. We've got the latest in sports news. Plus, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers had an amazing 2020 season on the gridiron, and we'll tell you more about the traditions and famous alums of Coastal Carolina in our college football tour of 44 cities. That's our number three. Plus, we'll let you know more about the Southern Arts and Entertainment spectrum. All that coming up. Tick-tock, tick-tock, we have reached the third hour, the last hour of this latest day of coverage of everything Southern. Hello, I'm John Rawl, it is fantastic to be back with you, and if you want to get involved and you want to reach out to me, hey, I am certainly willing and able to talk to you. 803-816-1170, that is how you can get in touch with us here at Talk With A Southern Accent. Love to hear from you. Here on the Y'all Show. Here as we wrap up this final hour, let me tell you what all is coming up. We've got a look at sports news, including a quick look at the 2022 NFL Mock Draft. The Bleacher Report has released their top 10 picks, and I'll tell you some of the familiar names of college football where, according to Bleacher Report, they might be going in this forthcoming NFL draft. Speaking of the NFL, how about the Washington football team They're deciding to go with a different nickname in 2022 and some news out on that front. I think they should go with the Redskins, frankly, but we'll tell you about that here on the y'all show plus the open at Royal St. George's underway early, early hours of Thursday morning. You can tune in and check that out. If you will, we'll let you know about the start of the final major on the PGA tour and in golf here this year. Plus, we'll let you know how the Stanley Cup in Tampa Bay got dented during a Tampa Bay lightning celebration. What is going on in Tampa Bay that, first of all, they're winning so many championships, kudos on that, but they don't know how to handle themselves when they have these world championship celebrations. (laughs) And evidently, the Stanley Cup's got a big old dent and Tom Brady's Super Bowl trophy that he threw around on the boats in Tampa's harbor there lucky that that thing didn't get a big old dent or even worse, sinking into the bottom of Tampa Bay when the Buccaneers were celebrating back in February. We've got all that plus, speaking of Tampa, a Tampa native, Pete Alonzo is your two-time defending home run derby at the All-Star Game. We'll tell you all about the former Florida Gators' incredible accomplishment with the bat in his hand. That's part of our sports coverage here in this third hour of y'all. Plus, We'll keep the college football fun going with a spotlight of the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Get your teal and gold on. We're going to Conway. And the Chanticleers of the Sun Belt Conference had one of the best seasons you could possibly have in college football in 2020, outside of Alabama winning the national championship and not losing a single game. Really one of the media darlings of last year, Coastal Carolina And Jamie Chadwell, the Associated Press College Coach of the Year, Jamie Chadwell. In this hour, we'll let you know about more of the traditions at Brooks Stadium, a stadium that has seen college football played for only 20 years. This is an upstart program in the Grand Strand area of South Carolina. Coastal Carolina, traditions, famous alums, we've got it all. And it's coming up in the next segment. Before the hour is up, we have a Southern accent on the arts and entertainment world and more fun here on Talk with a Southern Accent. Dive it into the sports headlines here. The Washington football team's new name and logo will have no linkage to Native American or American Indian imagery, according to team president Jason Wright. Now, just the other day, Dan Snyder... The owner of the team made his wife a co-owner, co-CEO, if you will. And I'm having to think that some of these decisions are now coming from Mrs. Snyder, not necessarily Hubby Dan, as the WFT choosing this new nickname and logo to depart from all kind of signs as this team was for many, 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 many decades, the Washington Redskins. And they announced on Monday that they will not consider Warriors as an option And they made the announcement in a weekly brief posted on the team's website as the president, Jason Wright of Washington, cited the team's inclusive process to listen to all voices with a particular emphasis to engaging, listening, and learning from Native American leaders and individuals throughout the country. As the team president goes on to say, the process was not just the simple, easy to categorize who's for or who's against polling of our old name, but research revealing the psychological effects of Native American team names on American Indian and Alaska Native youth. Now, I had a conversation with someone the other day who is completely, his bloodline completely from El Salvador. But if you know anything about Central America, most of those countries had a strong um, Indian I won't say Native American, Native Central American, (laughs) if there's such a thing. Influence, a lot of, I guess it would have been the Aztecs in that part of the world. But this guy was, his bloodline, his parents both from El Salvador, his ex-wife, a member of the, I think it's the Hopi tribe in Arizona, so his wife was a card-carrying member, full-blooded American Indian from Arizona. This guy grew up in Washington, D.C. He loves the Redskins. He loves the nickname Redskins. As he said, he's talked to Indians in Arizona, throughout the country. He's a guy who's, again, got his bloodline in Central America. He says he's never run into a single Indian who had a problem with that Redskins nickname. He said it was a way to honor American Indians. And I'm telling you something that is irrelevant because... The NFL and the Redskins at the time made that decision to cut ties with that team. I really don't like the way they have essentially wiped out Redskins from this great and historic franchise. If they're going to change their name, so be it. But don't act like this team was never the Redskins. And a lot of coverage I've seen of this football team, reporters, the team itself, does not even reference Redskins anymore. This was the name of this team thirteen months ago, and it's like completely erased. And if you are a former Redskins fan and/or player, I would be pretty upset. I mean, call me a rebel. Maybe that's a good nickname for the team. I miss the Washington Rebels. Um, I would be flaunting my Redskins merchandise more now than ever, just as a stick it to. Really, the NFL. Dan Snyder, I feel sorry for the guy with all the woke stuff going on in 2020 with George Floyd. I don't know how Washington Redskins and George Floyd got in the same sentence, but somehow that's what happened in the summer of 2020. And you can even go back to the years that Obama was president. Remember, he wouldn't call them the Redskins, and he actually tried to get their trademark canceled and may have even been successful with that. It's been an ugly affair, but the Redskins and Snyder held on and said they would never never change it. And, and I know why they had to ultimately fold their tent, or should I say teepee, and change uh, their nickname. But I just don't like how it's like the Redskins never existed. And I've seen this happen in other nicknames and mascot arenas around sports, and I don't like it. It is absolutely wrong. Again, if you're a, a longtime Redskins fan, the Hogs, Hail to the Redskins, I mean, they're going to essentially change not only their nickname, they have to change their fight song. I know for a long time, Redskins fans would use the hashtag HTTR, hell to the Redskins. That was their little battle thing on social media. And I guess now they have no identity. I, I really... I, I, I empathize, sympathize, if you will, with this NFL franchise, but they're undergoing this rebranding. And frankly, if you're going to not be the Redskins, I like Washington football team personally. I, th- I think it, it's a way to still honor the Redskins without calling them the Redskins. But now they're coming out, his Daniel Snyder's wife saying, essentially giving her president, Jason Wright, the green, or should I say, Washington Redskins slash football team, maroon, I guess that's their color. Is it maroon and gold? Maroon light to go forward with a new nickname. I have a strong suspicion this football team is going to become woke and go with the name Redtails with their nickname. That's always been one of the leading candidates for this new team name. And now that they've come out and said Warriors is not going to be the team nickname, look for the nickname Redtails Tails to essentially be the leader for the new name of this NFL franchise. Of course, that name comes from the Tuskegee Airmen. The Woke Redskins, that's what they can call themselves. <laughs> I'm sorry, Woke Red Tails. I guess I just made an example of maybe why they don't need to be the Red Tails because there's going to be people like me who not even intentionally kind of have a brain slip up and call them by that throwback name. We're going to have an NFL draft, whether it's going to be Washington football team or Washington red Tails or Washington y'alls. We're going to have a NFL draft in 2022 and the bleacher report has come out with their list of the top 10 in the 2022 mock draft. If the NFL draft were held right now, According to bleacherreport.com, here is their top 10. At number 10, the Atlanta Falcons. Again, this is all subject to change because we have no idea the actual pecking order for the 22 draft because a lot of this depends on how teams finish in the 21 season. But they have going at number 10 to the Atlanta Falcons, Matt Corral, the Mississippi quarterback from California originally. The G men in New York. Selecting with the ninth pick, Drake Jackson. Going eight to the Raiders in Vegas, DeMarvin Leal. At seven, Malik Willis to the Philadelphia Eagles. Going six, I think this is a Alabama player, Derek Stingley Jr. to the Carolina Panthers. Number five, Kyle Hamilton to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Number four in this mock draft, the Bengals select Evan Neal. Number three, Kayvon Thibodeau of the New York Jets. Number two, the Detroit Lions select, and this would be a good choice for them, North Carolina quarterback, Sam Howell. And your number one pick, the Houston Texans select from Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler. Again, that is just a mock draft. We're already seeing a 22 NFL mock draft come out from Bleacher Report dot com and Rattler and Oklahoma they've got number one. He had a good year last year. I'll, I'll give him credit. Now the previous year, 2019, I thought OU really was schizophrenic under his command, and he did not have the the kind of consistency of that program needed. But in 20 the 20 season, I thought Rattler was not rattled at all and did a good job. And now coming back this year for another season in Norman, look for this Big 12 QB to lead his team back to the Big 12 championship, likely win it, and maybe back into the college football playoff. It is the week this week of the Open Championship, and it's at Royal St. George's. That is in Sandwich, England, a tasty little place there in jolly old England. And it's going to get underway early, early, early on Thursday morning. In fact, if you're a good Southerner and you want to stay up past midnight at 1235 Central Time on Thursday morning, just after Wednesday turns into Thursday, you can tune in and see the first party, the group of three teeing off there at Royal St. George's in Sandwich, England. And the first tee time set for 1.35 Eastern, 12.35 in the morning. Central time. Richard Bland, Andy Sullivan, and Marcus Armitage all teeing off. Other notable members of the PGA Tour who are participating in the Open Championship. Brooks Kepka, He's got a 3.03 Eastern time tee time. Daniel Berger. tee time. Ernie Ells, the South African duffer, he's got a tee time and a former Open champion winner. Ells tees off at 4.03 Eastern. I guess that would be about 10 in the morning in Sandwich, England. You also have the most recent Open champion winner, Shane Lowry of Ireland. He is teeing off at 4.58 4.58 Eastern, 3.58 Central time. How about Georgia Tech alum Stuart Sink? Stuart Sink, an open winner in the past. He's got a tee time at 5.09 Eastern, 4.09 Florence, Alabama time, his hometown. Dustin Johnson, Irmo, South Carolina's own. He tees off at 5.20 Irmo time. You have from the Chattanooga area, Harris English. He's got a 5.42 Eastern time. Chattanooga lookout city time. I I should say scenic city time. Also some other familiar names teeing off. Jason Dye of Australia. He's got a 720 time Eastern time tee time on Thursday morning. Tony Finau, great golfer out of Utah. He has a 753 tee time. How about a recent major winner, Colin Morikawa, who won the PGA Championship in 2020? Morikawa with a 7.26 T time. He's paired up with Corey Connors there in that grouping. Webb Simpson of North Carolina, the Wake Forest alum. He has a 9.26 Eastern North Carolina time there. Also, you have Rory McIlroy going at 10.21 Eastern. He's paired up with Augusta Georgia's own Patrick Reed in a pairing that includes Cameron Smith of Australia. 10.21 Eastern time, 9.21 is when you have that. And then... Your last trio going out includes golfers that I'm not familiar with. I guess they're more international golfers. But that last threesome going off at 11.16 a.m., 10.16 central, which means the Open Championship should be concluded mid-afternoon on Thursday. So if you are a big golfing fan and viewer, you can stay up all night Thursday, Wednesday night into Thursday, and then tell your boss that I'm going to take off the morning, but I'll come in about mid-afternoon and work till 5 o'clock. <laughs> I don't know how well that will go over, but if you want to see golf at a great, great course there in Sandwich, England, it's the Open Championship. Coming up on Friday's Y'all Show, our buddy Jason Knob will be back on here, and we'll get his thoughts on the opening round from Thursday and what he expects to happen over the weekend they're at the Open Championship, the final major of this year's golf tour. Hard to believe that we have already concluded all the big-time tournaments, and then they'll have the FedEx Championship go on for the month of August and into September. and A lot of money, but not necessarily the prestige on the line when those golfers get together for that event. A lot of prestige on the line, not necessarily money. Currently on the line for Team USA, the basketball team that will be participating in the Olympics. Team USA has now lost its first two games in exhibitions leading up to the Tokyo Olympics as they fell on Monday to Australia. The Aussies getting the best of the Americans, 91-83 in a game played in Vegas. Damian Lillard had 22 points. Kevin Durant knocked in 17 It was not enough, again, Team USA fell to Nigeria on Saturday and now losing to Australia. And it is not looking good for America to come away from Tokyo with any kind of medal if they're going to play like they're playing in Vegas. Maybe they're uh, spending a little bit too much time at the craps table because they're playing like craps (laughs) on the hard court getting ready for Tokyo. The Stanley Cup was won this week by the Tampa Bay Lightning And in Tampa on Monday, they got together and celebrated in a way only Tampa could do. They had a boat parade. And unfortunately, the Stanley Cup got a big dent in it as some of the members of the Lightning celebrated a a bit too much. The Lightning with the 4-1 Stanley Cup win over the Montreal Montreal Canadiens. And that's the second consecutive Stanley Cup claimed by the Florida franchise. Congratulations. Tampa native Pete Alonzo won Major League Baseball's All-Star Home Run Derby. That was held Monday at Coors Field in Denver. And Alonzo, the New York Mets slugger, hit 74 total home runs in this contest. And in the final round, he beat his opponent 23 home runs to 22 home runs. And it's the first time since the 2013-2014 All-Star Game that you had a player with consecutive home run titles. Pete Alonzo, New York Mets slugger, a great, great win as he knocked off Trey Mancini. Shohei Atani of the Angels also participated in this. But the Mets slugger, he got the victory. And he also got a million dollars for winning the home run derby. And that million dollars, he needs a better agent. Is, it's more than he gets in his regular salary playing for the, where, where what kind of borough are they in? Queens, I think is where New York plays its baseball, the Mets. Uh, he makes $676,000 a year. And this Grand Slam All-Star Derby contest of home runs, he got a million dollars just for about two hours worth of work and he won it the year before. He has now made $2 million in home run derby winnings, and he's only made $1.47 million in his career salary from the Mets through the end of this season. I think he might want to just skip out on playing for the Mets and only show up for these home run derbies. Pete Alonzo. How about this slugger for the Giants? He's a first baseman. He's a Tampa native. He actually went to high school at Henry B. Plant High School before getting a scholarship at the University of Florida. He was an all-SEC player in his freshman year and then ended up being picked by the New York Mets. He's been an all-star. He's been the National League Rookie of the Year back in 2019, and he actually led Major League Baseball in its home run category in the 2019 season. Thus far, Pete Alonso has knocked 86 dingers in his time as a pro baseball player. And it's a career that only started two years ago for the Metropolitans. A very, very good baseball player is Pete Alonzo. He's in tonight's All-Star Game taking place in Denver, a game that ought to be played in Atlanta at Truist Park. They done stole the All-Star Game this year, Major League Baseball. Shame on you, Rob Manfred. And that is a quick look at what's going on sports-wise here across the Southeast on this Tuesday. When we come back, more sports talk. We will tell you all about the fun, the pageantry, the traditions, and famous alumni of the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Oh, get your mullet on because we're going to the beach, the beach of the Grand Strand of South Carolina. It is football on the teal turf at Brook Stadium. Coastal Carolina, you're up next. Here on the Y'all Show.
2: The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's y'all show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's Great Southern College Football Showcase.
0: Oh, get that suntan out and get ready to do a little shagging. We're going to Myrtle Beach. Actually, we're going a few miles inland. We're going to Conway today. It's Coastal Carolina University It is the latest stop on our 44 city or college town odyssey across the southeast, getting you ready for the start of college football's 2021 season. And those Chanticleers, those wild and crazy Chanticleers, you are today's featured college. I'm going to let you know what exactly, what the heck is a Chanticleer? I'll tell you here as we focus on the traditions and some of the background of Coastal Carolina University, Conway, South Carolina. And also, we'll let you know about some of Coastal's most famous alumni. Of course, one of the main reasons we're talking about Coastal Carolina football today is the amazing 2020 season Jamie Chadwell had there in the Sunbelt Conference. This is a team that went 11-1 and in football. They only lost their final game. And that was in the Cure Bowl to the Liberty Flames. And if they had won that one in Orlando, they would have had a perfect season. And they would have maybe even been declared a national champion, kind of like UCF was a few years back. But it's the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, today's spotlight. The chants getting ready for their season to start on September 2nd. That's the Thursday of Labor Day weekend. The Citadel Bulldogs. The Bulldogs out of Charleston, the Military College of South Carolina, they are Coastal's first opponent at Brooks Stadium on that Thursday night, the home opener, and a lot of people excited to welcome back Coastal Carolina football after the incredible season they had in 2020, a season of which they are considered co-champions of the Sun Belt Conference. They were not able to hold the conference championship due to a COVID outbreak, so Coastal ended up sharing the conference honors with Louisiana Lafayette last year. This year, they want to get that Citadel game behind them. They want to welcome in Kansas the following week for Heroes Day at Brooks Stadium, and they want to keep going with wins like they've had in the past and promoted and built this program out of nowhere. Coastal Carolina has only been playing football about 20 years. 20 years. This team literally rose from the dust. It was in 2003 that this program kind of first got going in Conway, South Carolina. And less than 20 years later, they go to bowl games. They make national headlines. They beat teams like Kansas a couple of times. They beat BYU in 2020. And Jamie Chadwell steering this program to greatness after he came up from Charleston Southern to take over the teal and gold of Coastal Carolina. Let me tell you a little bit about the university. It is in the Myrtle Beach metropolitan area. Coastal Carolina started back in 1954 as a junior college within the University of South Carolina. For a long time, they were kind of like, oh, that's where you go if you can't get to Columbia. You went to Coastal Carolina. It was a, the Coastal Carolina Junior College. It was a party school. It may still be a party school. <laughs> but ultimately, in the 1990s, Coastal seceded from the University of South Carolina and informed it its own sort of system there. And that's why they are... Totally separate. They are South Carolina's third FCF, rather FBS team. You got the Gamecocks, you got the Clemson Tigers, and then you got Coastal Carolina. A lot of teams like the Citadel and Furman and Wofford and South Carolina State play at the FCS level of college football. But it was Coastal Carolina, even though they have only about an 18-year history, they're the ones that decided to jump up and play big boy football. They also have been been playing big boy baseball for a long time. So much so, you may remember, in 2016, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers went to Omaha and they won the College World Series. They were national champions of college baseball in 2016. And that's right when they were transitioning from FCS football to FBS football. But an amazing, amazing run by Coastal with their baseball team. They've also been a pretty good golf program there in the Grand Strand of South Carolina. And if you don't know much about Conway and the Myrtle Beach area, I know I don't have the count in front of me, but at one time, and it probably is still true, Myrtle Beach had more golf courses than any area in the entire country and maybe the whole world, probably the whole world. And that's why so many people went to the Myrtle Beach area on golfing vacations. So if you like golf, golf in coastal Carolina, Yeah, it ought to be a good combo. And it is a good combo. I know so because one of the most famous alums of CCU is one of golf's greatest players. I'm going to tell you about him in just a second because I want to share with you all of the famous alumni of Coastal Carolina University. And it starts with Bailey Hanks. Do you know who Bailey Hanks is? She was known as a dancer on MTV's Legally Blonde, The Musical. She's performed on Broadway as Elle Woods in Legally Blonde. She's essentially a Broadway version of Reese Witherspoon. (laughs) And she is a Anderson, South Carolina native that, again, has had some success in Broadway. And she's appeared on Guiding Light and more. Bailey Hanks. Check her out. No relation to Tom, I don't think. A more famous actor who is a Coastal Carolina University alumnus, is Michael Kelly. And if you ever saw House of Cards on Netflix, it's Michael Kelly that plays the role of Doug Stamper. He's also been in films like Changeling, The Adjustment Bureau, Now You See Me, and Everest. The Philadelphia, Pennsylvania native who was raised in Lawrenceville, Georgia, somehow, some way, found his way to Coastal Carolina and is an alumnus, of Coastal Carolina, actor Michael Kelly, is a chant. But the most famous alumnus of Coastal Carolina is likely a former athlete. It is Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson went to Dutch Fork High School in the Columbia area in Lexington County, technically. Great county, by the way. And ended up going to Coastal Carolina as a Chanticleer golfer. And he was a pretty good golfer. I think he's a better professional than he was a college golfer. But Dustin Johnson has gone on to be a major winner of the Masters and the U.S. Open. He's been atop the FedEx standings and more. He, he won the FedEx Championship. He's won, I think, at least $100 million on the PGA Tour. Dustin Johnson, a Coastal Carolina University alumnus. Now, let me tell you about some of the traditions of this upstart college on South Carolina's Grand Strand. The Chanticleers don't have a whole lot of tradition, but they do have a heck of a nickname, the Chanticleer. And all of you folks who mastered English in college who are up on your Chaucer know exactly what a Chanticleer is. Because of their connection in the past to being the junior college for the University of South Carolina, the Gamecocks, it helps explain why Coastal Carolina chose the proud and fierce rooster in Jeffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, the Chanticleer. And that's the moniker of CCU's mascot and athletics teams. And again, this nickname comes directly from Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, specifically the Nun's Priest Tale. Do y'all remember studying up on that one? In the early 1960s, Coastal's athletic teams were actually known then as the Trojans until a group of Coastal students and their English professor, basketball coach, Cal Maddox, brought up the idea of a new mascot. And it helped that the Chanticleer was from the same family of the animal kingdom as the Gamecock, the mascot of Coastal's then-parent institution at the time, USC, Columbia. Thus, the Chanticleer was born in the 1960s, giving the growing college its own identity and one of the most unique mascots in college athletics. I would agree with that. Their colors are also pretty unique, gold and teal, and a little black thrown in there as well. Now, on the coastal campus there in Conway, you find the Beatty Memorial Victory Bell. This was a gift from the Pi Kappa Phi fraternity as a memorial for then-student Chad Michael Beatty, who died in a car accident in 1995. The fraternity used more than $26,000 it raised to construct a memorial and purchase this bell. It was cast, this bell, in 1893 as the bell belonged to a church in Charleston, which is the founding city of the National Fraternity, Pi Kappa Phi. Did y'all know that? The bell is located adjacent to Brooks Stadium, which is where Coastal plays its football games, dedicated in 2010, and you can hear the Beatty Beatty Memorial Victory Bell ringing when the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers get a victory across the street at Brooks Stadium as students and fans help ring the Victory Bell at the Coastal campus. Now, lastly... I'm going to tell you about the fight song because we like our fight songs here. I'm going to play the fight song in the background, so get ready for it. As we celebrate Coastal Carolina University, this is our stop today on our 44-city tour across the southeast of telling you about the teams and traditions and alumni and just more about the university that we find, in this case, Coastal Carolina University. In fact, I need to brag on Coastal Carolina as a university for one minute. It is a national sea grant institution and Coastal boasts almost 11,000 students. And one of the cool things in addition to having an awesome nickname in the Chanticleers, Coastal Carolina, which is only 67 years old as a university, it is one of the only colleges and maybe the only college I've ever heard of that possesses its own island. <laughs> as they have just outside of Myrtle Beach, technically literally on the state line where the Little River Inlet is between North and South Carolina, they own Coastal Carolina Waddy's Island. It's an undeveloped barrier island and it's under the jurisdiction of Coastal Carolina University as a research place. And they go there and teach classes. It's a natural laboratory. But it's an awesome little island, a barrier island, and Coastal Carolina owns it. How cool is that? I wonder if you could live there if you're a Coastal Carolina student. It'd be a long way to paddle from Waddy's Island over to Conway for a class if that's what you have to, to do. Maybe one of the athletic teams could go participate on a athletic contest at Waddy's Island. Again, on the map, it is literally the only landmass or land you'll see right there where North and South Carolina meet on the Atlantic coast. This is coastal front property for Coastal Carolina. Waddy's Island. I thought that was pretty neat. And correction, the official colors of Coastal Carolina are teal and bronze. Another unusual combination, but a pretty combination for CCU. And lastly, the other thing I wanted to share with you about this college located in Conway is the fact that Coastal Carolina's fight song is pretty catchy. And as we go to break, I'm going to play this fight song, and I'm going to kind of do my best to recite the words to the Chanticleers fight song and remind you that, again, we're now less than two months away from Brooks Stadium opening up its gates and having this team set foot on the teal turf there, a team that in 2020 only lost one game, and that was its bowl game, Its coach, Jamie Chadwell, was named the AP College Football Coach of the Year, a team that finished in the top 15 of college football for 2020. A team with its bowl win over Liberty may have even finished in the top 10. And in this discussion we're having now in college football about expanding the playoff, heck, this team could have actually made it into the playoff if the rules were already in place and we could be talking about a Coastal Carolina football team that was national football champions. This is already a school that has won a college baseball national championship in the last five years. So it's good to be teal and bronze. It's good to be a Coastal Carolina Chanticleer. And as we send you out to break, we're going to play the fight song. I'm going to sing the fight song as best we can and also tell you on Wednesday's Y'all Show, we're going to go from Conway, South Carolina to New Orleans as the two-lane green wave will be our next stop on the Wednesday Y'all Show. We'll tell you all about the history, traditions, the university, and more of the two-lane green wave, roll wave. But that's not until Wednesday's Y'all Show, so you just have to wait. Here's the fight song. We're the Chanticleers. Tenacious and true. We'll fight until the end for CCU. We'll compete with honor and always to win. Gather for our battle cry and then we'll shout our colors. Go teal. And then we'll yell out and bronze. And every team will learn Coastal is number one. We're the Chanticleers. Defending the shore. Best of Carolina since 54. Stronger than the Oaks and sure as the tide. Our hearts are beating fast with Coastal pride. Sock them bust them. that's our custom coastal carolina go chance the y'all show will be right back stay where you are
4: Accent. Here's what's entertaining the South from Y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. For the second year in a row, the Country Music Awards Festival will not take place. Thankfully, for those who purchased four-day passes for CMA Fest last year and chose the rollover option, they will continue to honor those passes for CMA Fest 2022. Furthermore, though CMA is canceled... Other music events, such as Bonnaroo and Austin City Limits, will go on as planned. The Bonnaroo Music and Arts Festival will take place in Manchester, Tennessee, between September 2nd and 5th at the Great Stage Park, a 700-acre farm. The festival will feature acts such as the Foo Fighters, Megan the Stallion, Tyler the Creator, Lana Del Rey, and many more. Austin City Limits will be celebrating its 20th anniversary at Zilker Park in Austin, Texas across two weekends on October 1st to 3rd and October 8th to 10th and has a star-studded lineup including George Strait. Miley Cyrus, Billie Eilish, Stevie Nicks, and The Baby. Tickets are already sold out for the festival. So don't fret over the CMA Fest as there are many other music festivals to attend throughout 2021. Entertainment headlines and more at y'all.com. All right, good
0: information to know, especially if you're planning your fall concert or tour schedule. That is helpful to know. How about George Strait at the Austin City Limits Festival in Austin? Woo, I'm going to have to make my reservation now if they got any tickets left. I have never seen George Strait in concert. That is on my bucket list. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we'll be going to Amarillo by morning. We're going to be wrapping up the Y'all Show. So stay tuned. the fella out right before we went to uh, break in the last segment, so I better give him an homage. The king of country music, George Strait, and this cowboy, John Rawls, going to be riding away in just a minute. Before we do that here on the Y'all Show, let's tell you quickly about some more headlines across the Southeast, and that includes TDOT, Tennessee Department of Transportation, saying its contractor is finishing Phase 2 and beginning A part phase three to repair the I-40 bridge in Memphis. And it looks like if everything goes well, perhaps the bridge will open for traffic at the end of July. TDOT officials saying a total of 16 plate locations must be repaired before the bridge is reopened. So early August perhaps, but yeah, it's been a disaster in the Mid-South with the I-40 bridge in Memphis shut down. And right now, 16 additional plates needing repairs before this bridge Opens in the Bluff City of Memphis. To Mississippi and the Mississippi Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, leaders there saying that statistics from the July 4th holiday show that the enforcement period that the Mississippi Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Department had saw a record low number of boating related incidents. That's wonderful news as conservation officers in Mississippi we active statewide, conducting saturation patrols and responding to only three boating incidents with no fatalities. In addition, over the 4th of July, there were no reported drownings across Mississippi. Way to go! And as far as I know, similar numbers coming in from across the southeast, but at least in one of our southern states, no fatalities. Fantastic news. How about a story about a black female unit from World War II? A female World War II unit is going to get or hopes to get a congressional honor. I think it will actually happen as you're going to see the 6,888, 6,888 Central Directory Postal Battalion getting credit for solving a mail crisis as our troops were in England. And this whole unit of black women who had joined the military, went across the ocean and helped out the unit known as the 6888, hopes to get the Congressional Gold Medal. And with only a handful of survivors, 855 members of the 6888 back in World War II, these survivors, the handful they have, I think it's about seven or eight left, hope to get legislation passed, the Senate passed legislation that would award members of the battalion. Now it's waiting The House to Act, but likely going to have that happen any day now. And the 6,888th Central Directory Postal Battalion made up of nearly 900 black women in World War II going to get a Congressional Gold Medal for their service in World War II. Did you realize today is National Fry Day? Not F-R-I-D-A-Y. F-R-Y space D-A-Y. And you can get deals on French fries today. Congratulations, everybody. McDonald's select locations are giving away free fries, but you got to download their app and opt in for rewards and add the deal for medium fries to your cart. If you are near a rallies or Checkers, pay just $1 for fries of any size, and they'll donate it to the No Kid Hungry, a campaign to end childhood hunger in America. That's at rallies and checkers how about hardy's you can get a email newsletter get a coupon for a free small fry today with a small beverage with the purchase of any original angus burger and also from wendy's they're giving away a free large order of fries with any purchase via the wendy's app all that going on here for national friday and lastly how about ihop ihop today offering 58 cent pancake short stacks go into your local ihop make sure They're doing this as IHOP celebrating its 63rd anniversary. Happy birthday, IHOP, 58-cent pancakes. Not bad. That wraps up the Y'all Show here. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day. This has been Talk with a Southern Accent.